Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Podcast Horseman. Back in the 20s, we reviewed a very famous Welcome indeed to Podcast Horseman, the Bojack Horseman podcast, a spoiler-free episode-by-episode audio review podcast of the critically acclaimed Netflix series, Bojack Horseman. I'm a socially distanced Michael Hamflit. And I'm a socially distanced Adam Nicholas. And Michael, I have actually got a question for you before we start this podcast tonight. Okay. Uh, if, if you choose to accept it, of course. <laughs> I mean, I will. I will. Of course. It's a call to action, so hopefully you will, you will take it up. But my question to you is, are we the faulty bike tire pump? that I had when I was in year eight. Because we are about to blow this whole thing wide open, my friend. It's a new episode of Podcast Horseman. <laughs> Same old shit from this fella. <laughs> Regardless of what you get at the top of this episode, you, we can call us the front of the plane because, of course, we are all business to begin with. You can follow this podcast on Twitter or Instagram at Podcast Horseman, or you can follow either of your hosts, if that hasn't already set you all to turning it off at this point. (laughs) Follow me on Twitter at It's Adam Nicholas, or you can follow Michael Hamflit at Michael Hamflit. And yes, you can follow this podcast along on Spotify. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts. You can subscribe on Acast. You can even find us now, we do believe, on Amazon Podcasts and Amazon Music, if that's your app, if that's your thing. We're there as well. We'd love you to, I don't know, like waste your Prime subscription on downloading all our episodes from the very beginning. We'd be thrilled with that. Basically, anywhere you can find your podcast, pretty much you can find us and there's isn't a worse place for it. Also, uh, if you want to listen to the podcast every single week, you can do so through the ACAST link, which will be posted to the at Podcast Horseman Twitter feed. That drops every Friday, as we hope you all know by now. And if you really love this podcast and you haven't thought to tell us that yet, we would really appreciate that. Five-star reviews are welcome on Apple Podcasts. You can say something nasty. You can say something nice. It all helps us. You've heard it on every podcast you've ever listened to. It's good for algorithms, and algorithms are more important than the words you're hearing right now. So we just love it if you left a review. And for special season three, if you want to start on the Hollywood Talk of Fame, we're giving them out for retweets. If you retweet that podcast episode that gets launched every Friday on the at Podcast Horseman Twitter feed, you throw yourself into a random draw that makes me do that drum roll noise at the end of every episode where one lucky retweet will be drawn out and then inducted into our very special season three Hollywood Talk of Fame, a new inductee coming at the end of this episode. Yes, indeed, there will be. And just to reinforce that point that Michael made there, we got a lovely confirmation from Amazon mm. the other day that we now are available on Amazon Podcasts. I probably should look into this before. <laughs> um, thank you, Amazon, for that. Yes. Uh, 
I'm sure it's nothing super exciting. I'm sure there's lots of podcasts on there. But Podcast Horseman is now one of them. So if that is your jam, go and get it from there. But in the meantime, I'm going to go over to Netflix to get us our Netflix synopsis for this week's episode. This is, of course, Season 3, Episode 8. It's called Old Acquaintance. Bojack is up for a part in David Pincher's latest film. Diane meets Mr. Peanut Butter's brother. And Todd takes the business in a new direction, Michael. How very exciting, eh? Yes, and it's an old acquaintance that we start the episode with because we start with a close-up on Diana, Mr. Peanut Butter's marriage counsellor. Uh, she's speaking to a client saying she thought the marriage was doomed, but she hands out a certificate that says marriage fixed to, camera dramatically pulls out, Ruda Baker and Katie Rabitowicz. Uh, Katie Rabitowicz is heavily pregnant. Ruda Baker and Katie both over the moon that they've managed to get through this. Uh, we learn through a little bit of conversation that it's New Year's Eve. Um, Ruda Baker is about to pledge his undying love to Katie, who, of course, as I say, is heavily pregnant. But the phone rings and it's Vanessa Gecko. Of course, Gecko and uh, Rabitowicz are now working together in an agency opposing Princess Carolyn. Um, she's got news of the new David Pincher movie, uh, Flight of the Pegasus, and they... Uh, <laughs> Advice on a young zebra who they can who can do the role, Chuck Hollister. Uh, it cuts quickly then in between seeds of them pitching why Chuck would be so great between each other in conversation to Princess Carolyn pitching Bojack to Judah. Um, they're talking about their sort of opposing qualities about the two actors, um, but they both ultimately talk them up and think they'd both be perfect for the role. And it's made clear through the dialogue that neither company has made enough money this calendar year to get by, to see themselves through into 2016. So this falling on New Year's Eve could potentially be perfect, could be the money spinner that both sides need. Um, obviously, it lets us know that they've only got one day to rectify this financial peril with, for one of them, it going completely right and one of them going completely wrong. It's a really kind of frantic scenes that end, ends with Rudebaker reassuring Vanessa Gecko that they'll be the one that books it for Chuff Hollister because, quote, we're the good guys, and we hit the credits on that. Um, just before we touch on the clashing of obviously the, the two sides here and the, the quest for the role in Pegasus, um, the return of Rudebaker here, seemingly in a different life, but how they play both sides of the character all at once. He is now fully through the certificate, I guess, committed again to his wife Katie, and yet cuts her off at the pass before they can even have that moment in a something that mirrors the exact same thing they did with Princess Carolyn to talk work with Vanessa Gecko. It's all very different, but it all feels quite the same. It is the same, same, very different, isn't it? I think it's uh I'm fascinated immediately when they decided to bring these two back in because mm. my interest has certainly peaked. But again, as you mentioned there, the man who knows how to take those lovely moments in life and completely and utterly disregard them in a second because his phone goes off. And whenever he slicks those ears back, I just want to punch him in his stupid <laughs> rabbit in his stupid rabbit face. But, I, I mean, the good guys, Michael. I don't think we saw that coming for an opening. And obviously, you immediately get the idea that this is going to be a dual perspective. Absolutely. And indeed, I suppose, I was going to say a two-horse race, but it's oh, one. Oh, that's better it's, than what I came up with. It's one and a zebra, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we we join the episode proper 
uh, with Bojack receiving a call from Sarah Lynn. Um, she's ringing him uh, about a show called Ethan Around, which is the horse and around sequel about Ethan that's been pitched by Bradley Hitler Smith. Uh, I should oh, point out, God. I should point out at this point that she's driving around. Obviously, she's driving on the phone, holding the phone to her ear painting the toenails at the wheel of the car and speaking at a usual frenzied pace. There's an incredible sense of chaos. The rain is beating against the, the side of the car all at the same time. Um, but Bojack uh, seems more concerned about why the show's come together, why Bradley's gone to her instead of going directly to Bojack. Uh, Sarah Lynn has no idea. And when she kind of like can't give him any more details about that, Bojack asks if she's just imagined Ethan around due to some various concoction of pills she's taken. But she does note that she's been clean and sober for eight months, um, which stops Bojack in his tracks. He admits to being really impressed with it and implores her to stay sober no matter what happens um, because she knows just how much she misses the drugs. She says, call me when you're ready to party. And then uh, through Bojack's phone, we hear that she crashes the car. It all sounds terribly devastating, but very much just in keeping with the life that we believe Sarah Lynn to be leading, even if she has indeed managed to stay sober for eight months. Um, Bojack rings Bradley Hitler-Smith and they agree to write Bojack into the sequel. The reason Bradley says he'd gone through Sarah Lynn instead of through Bojack is because Bojack had died at the end of Horsing Around, so it wouldn't be canon to suddenly bring him back in for this sequel show. Um, but he does note that with Bojack involved, it's more chance of getting the show sold. Um, Bradley's really, really into this. Um, I should note that Bojack's rang him and he's answered his phone from his uh, job at a tool, at a hardware store. He's at a customer help desk and he's just taking the call. Um, he admits basically how much he'd miss a sitcom life. He assesses every aspect of his life from his job to where he lives, to his wife, to his kids, as being B+. Plus. Uh, when he wants to go back to live in the A Hollywood life, or B minor, should I say, when he wants to go back to live in the A plus Hollywood lifestyle. Um, it's well, in, fairness, in fairness, everything B plus, just the kids were B minus, I think, the end of the scene. Maybe I felt something in that representation of his life. I don't know. But you know, there's something interesting here because he obviously he kind of keeps saying B minus, B minus, B minus, which, you know, isn't a bad run. And that's never dwelled upon by Bojack, who. Uh, in the middle of the call, realises how lame it is, how it's more just about Bradley trying to escape his own life than make something that's going to work. It's as if he feels that this idea is going to sink. But at this point, out of envy more than anything else, he's tried to get himself back on the hook and back involved in the show. Um, so he just kind of ducks out of any sort of more committed conversation to it, even though this one chat has got Bradley more involved than he'd ever been up to any up to any sort of other point. Uh, at this point, he turns to Anna. He's in Anna's flat, and he just says, why did you let me call him? Which is with a sigh, because Anna had been the first one to say, don't call him, don't get involved. Um, we move to Princess Carolyn's office, where Princess Carolyn and Anna both love the idea. They both agreed on Bojack getting the David Pincher film. Um, and Bojack is pleased at the prospect of uh, getting Ethan around out of his hair because one of the agents will deal with it. He doesn't have to be bothered who that is. In the meantime, though, in reference to the David Pincher film, uh, Rudebaker and Vanessa have a contact, um, which they're suddenly, they're kind of like going through a chart of faces in their office of people who they could maybe uh, get in touch with in order to try and seal this film for Chuff. Um, but unfortunately, the contact is Laura. It's a reveal that it was Princess Carolyn's old assistant. Uh, it's shown through Princess Carolyn and Laura having a conversation in the diner. They're having coffee together. Uh, Princess Carolyn is just talking about how great Laura was uh, when she was her assistant. Quote, I always believed in you, Laura. Uh, Laura says she'd love to help Bojack land the part because Princess Carolyn once tried to help her get a promotion at Vigor. Um, as Princess Carolyn says, we girls got to look out for each other after all. 
Um, so it's just a, a nice moment there where at least Princess Carolyn has seemingly got the lead in the race to get the Pegasus film to her client. And uh, Vanessa Gecko and Rita Baker know this and there's not really a lot they can do about it. The conversation moves to the old Vigor offices all of a sudden, again, through the uh, cut of the lightning flashing on this awful rainy night on New Year's Eve in Hollywood. And it's Judah at the Vigor offices. He's having a late meeting with Charlie Witherspoon about a possible merger. Um, it was called by Charlie himself. He kind of acknowledges that Vigor is having some financial problems of its own. He is typically awful at his job at being able to manage it. But he didn't want to ring Princess Carolyn because he doesn't like getting shouted at and he doesn't mind people knowing that. Judah, from a very calm perspective, um, notes it was probably best that he get in touch with him rather than her. He doesn't really go into many more details on that, um, but it's obviously clear that both sides could maybe help each other. Vim and Vigor could possibly be coming together to help their own sort of separate woes. But back across town, uh, we've got B Bojack Horseman and Ethan now in Elefante. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Bradley's flown all the way from Washington to meet with him tonight to just basically talk more about things that Bojack knowledge could have been done over the phone. Uh, <laughs> Ethan goes into a bit of, I keep calling him Ethan, but Bradley goes into detail about the Ethan around plot and notes that it's about him adopting three orphan horses as a string <laughs> of the horse around plot and how he's moving his whole family from Washington to LA. He's uh, put a $2 million deposit on a house. Bojack is still trying to get out of it without admitting that he doesn't want to do it. Um, he rings uh, and pesters Princess Carolyn, who's driving through the rain at this point because she's got other things on, all to do with Bojack on her plate at the moment, um, because he just doesn't want to destroy him. Uh, a quick pause at this point, because the episode doesn't really give us much chance to. Your thoughts on Bojack's interactions with Bradley Hitler-Smith and, I don't know, the continuing moving parts of Hollywood that happen now. Everything happens about Bojack, but without involving him. And the only thing that does... It's a thing that he wants somebody else to deal with. It's always him wanting someone else to do the hard yards, isn't it? Mm. While he ultimately, it's getting worse. I think we can see it's yeah. getting worse. The more that he's, in his head he's become a film star now, it's just you do this, you do that. Almost like he didn't have a really strong mother figure or something as a child. <laughs> and he's trying to, trying to find women who are happy to do these things for him who are in positions of power to do so. Um <laughs> But yeah, this was, I think, the stuff with Bradley Hitler-Smith is great. And I love that you keep full naming him, because of course you should. Because what, a, <laughs> because what a name that is to continue to reference in this show. Such a throwaway that, but never forget Bradley <laughs> Hitler-Smith. Um, but yeah, it just does so much. I love there's so much emphasis on Bradley's part here. Obviously super keen to dive back in the horse and around. Bojack's really only interested from an ego perspective, isn't it? Yeah. That he wants to be a part of it. Because in his eyes, the horse from horse and around was the whole show, even though apparently not because the horse <laughs> died at the end of the show, which is amazing. I love the idea that the horse just gets killed off. And as you say, the gulf has gotten bigger in terms of how connected Bojack is to the other stuff happening about him. Like, an entire night is now going on between two agencies that directly relate to his future income, his future success, and he is just drinking in a bar. That's his, it's, that's his whole it, night. And it's the mass the mass um, repercussions, isn't it? I think that's what you yeah. get to see here. There's big stakes on the line for everybody, mm. and yet he's just floating through life just trying to have his cake and eat it, and ultimately has no idea just how much on a knife edge quite a lot of people who are tied to him directly are if all of this goes tits up. Well, now on that knife edge are Gecko and Rabitowitz, who are very aware 
that uh, Princess Carolyn's got Laura and she's probably the key um, as that great assistant to indeed getting the Pegasus part. Um, so they rethink it. They decide that the best way to convince Bojack not to do Pegasus is to convince him to do something else instead via da -da -da -da, Kelsey Jennings, of course, a client of Vanessa Gecko from back when she managed to kind of get in on Princess Carolyn's sort of like involvement with the film that they were making at the time. Um, we cut to Kelsey meeting Bojack again in a bar. His night is just going from place to place, just floating along, as he suggests, um, saying she had an option to make a movie based on one of her latest books, uh, but it needed a big star and it expires at midnight. She's half interested. Obviously, you know, the option being there to make the movie is a big deal, but not having anybody meant that she kind of gradually started to lose interest. Um, and she as good as gave up on it, but her agent rang her and told her to try Bojack. That has brought them back together. Um, she, at this point, kind of like starts pitching the idea to Bojack. She, despite having said she's not interested, the fact that this meeting's come together, maybe she's wowed by the happenstance of it all. But she kind of negs what exactly it would be that Pegasus would do for Bojack's career at this point and what it would do for him. Um she notes that it will do wonders for his credibility if she takes her movie. And his credibility is the thing that she believes only she has seen in the film, in the scene that they filmed, that obviously eventually wouldn't go on to be used as Secretariat, the scene that got her fired. But the thing that made her realise that there is an actor hidden underneath the facade of Bojack Horseman. Again, it plays slightly to his ego, but it plays to that moment the two of them shared when they did that thing. Uh, and he calls that, the best thing that he's ever done in his career. And again, laments the idea that it won't ever get seen. And that seems to sell him on the idea of doing this Kelsey Jennings product over the Pegasus one. Back at the Vim offices, Princess Karen desperately tries to stop him taking Kelsey's movie uh, over Pegasus because she needs that money. Bojack is pretty selfish here. He's just lying backwards on the couch uh, saying what he wants to do. He wants this, he wants that, he wants that. Uh, he isn't aware or doesn't care that Princess Carolyn needs the Pegasus movie to go through because she desperately needs the financial incentive that this will bring. Um, Anna is in the room at the same time. And obviously there's always been that little bit of a, a kind of, it's either a professional jealousy or a professional disrespect that Anna has with Princess Carolyn. Um, and she kind of negs her in her saying, well, if you're such a good agent, maybe you can get him to do both. So Princess Carolyn is back off on that path now. She somehow got to find a way to bring both opportunities together Again, all before midnight because both deadlines have been set up. Um, we see Laura in the rain still in a Mac sort of hiding away in a public phone. Uh, rings Princess Carolyn to let her know. This is later on in the day, so Bojack's left the office. Later on in the day to let her know that Bojack has got the Pegasus part. She's obviously made the call to David Pinchot, made it happen. Great assistant that she is. Speaking of great assistants, Judah walks in to let her know that Vanessa Gecko is on line one and Princess Carolyn only really wants to use this as gloves. She uh, compares it to a cat ball and just wants to knock her around for a little bit. Judah suggests that it's still all quite precarious. Midnight hasn't hit, contract hasn't been signed. Maybe not the best thing to do, but Princess Carolyn can't help herself. The call goes exactly as you would imagine. They're both competing with each other as usual. Princess Carolyn appears to have won the day because she's got all the cards. Uh, she brags and she tells... Uh, Vanessa Gecko at this point that Bojack will only do Kelsey's movie for the same fee as Pegasus, which she knows full well that Vanessa Gecko can't really do. But at this point, she's thinking, I'm going to make the most money for the least work and everything's going to work out just perfect. Then gives her Vanessa Gecko's own bye back in her wow. face to sort of to imply that the power dynamic has finally shifted between the two. 
uh, Gecko back at her office, slams the phone down. But Rudebaker returns, storming in with something that changes everything. He says he was rooting through his old Vigor emails. And he didn't really know what he was looking for, but he eventually found it. He slams the email on a desk, and Vanessa Gecko is so overwhelmed with enthusiasm that she says, quote, hot sh** on a ham sandwich. This is amazing. Uh, before we can find out exactly what the contents of the email are, the rain stops outside and Rudebaker gets a text to say that Kate has gone into labour. Vanessa tells him just to go. She says she can deal with this on her own. Uh, and as Rudebaker's dashing out the door, he shouts, thank you, you make me stronger. Which does actually suggest that these two have found the perfect working relationship with one another, at least in the context of this deal. Vanessa can do what she needs to do so he can go and do what he needs to do. He is acknowledging the strength and the power of a woman that can actually be of help to him in his personal and professional life. Um, you are pulling faces, which is interesting because I was keen to see this character we both love being presented in this light. This feels as good as place as any here, a catch up on him, on Gecko, on the deal, and on the sort of metamorphosis of Princess Carolyn, very briefly into the power broker for the first time in her sort of relationship with Vanessa Gecko. So there's a lot going on here. I've tried to remember as you've been talking to go back and touch on these things. First of all, let's talk about Rabinowitz. Um, Rabinowitz and Gecko works. I agree, it works. And him mm. obviously disappearing and wanting to go and be with his, his wife so that he can go and watch the birth of his children is great. Lovely stuff. However, what is the thing that we know about uh, Vanessa Gecko, the kind of rules out of the table, off the table even, is the fact that she's married and has kids of her own. She yes. already has all of that settled down. If Rudebega got, got a whiff that he had another Princess Carolyn around, would it be the same, Michael, is my question mm, to you. And I'm question. not so sure. I'm not so sure. Anybody can get through that, that task. I, fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, fiddly dee, eh? <laughs> That's what I say to that. Yeah. But, but on top of that, um, I think the fascinating thing that, con that just seems to continue in this episode, and it's no coincidence that Kelsey is the director who ends up coming in to try and uh, tempt Bojack away with another film. Like, just think about all of the things that the women in this episode are trying to do for Bojack, that are offering Bojack across the board, like Kelsey, even Vanessa Gecko, even though she's got her own selfish gains in mind, it is still trying to get Bojack a job. As Gecko, as Kelsey, as Carolyn, as Anna Sponacopita. I mean, that is a whole lot of women who are trying to do a lot for Bojack. And what is he doing for any of them, I ask you? <laughs> Giving them more work. He's Giving asking Princess work. Carolyn, get me as out if, of Eastern As if it's Iran. not yeah. enough. As if uh -huh. it's not enough what he's already getting. Yeah, it's uh, it's never good for those particular women. Again, as you say, all of them, all of them working and grafting incredibly hard. It's like it's life or death for them as well, and it is still going miss. And now, as you say, Kelsey getting sucked into that. She had pulled herself away. The I think the implication of her losing interest in the film is as much to do with her pulling herself away from Bojack's orbit, yeah. from the Hollywood yeah. orbit, from the rotten experience she had working on Secretariat. The whole thing, again, the way that men had just polluted her experience of that probably meant that the opportunity to get this book sold and turned into a film was one that she greeted with only a passing interest. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the, the other thing I wanted to touch on there, which you just reminded me of, is the fact that for quite a while now, on this Oscar run, we've seen like the whole world that we're normally used to uh, has become very, very oh, Hollywoodified. The tar is rife at the moment. It's because we're in Oscar buzz, Michael. This is exactly where Hollywood thrives in all of this bullshit that goes around 
all yes. of the buzz, all of the, the fake press stuff that you've got to do to get yourself out there. So you've seen a lot of that build-up. And the one thing that comes cuts through all of this like a knife is Kelsey saying, like, wouldn't you rather do something real with your life? Mm-hmm. Like, what is the quote? She says something about, are you just going to do... Are you just going to do stupid bullshit for the rest of your life? I think she says to Bojack. Yeah. <laughs> and I just think he, for a split second, pops his head out and just gets caught back up on, maybe I should go back and do the real things. Maybe it's not all about the glitz and the glamour that he seems to be. Being mm. around Anna has inevitably engulfed him in all of this lifestyle. You're the best, you're the best, let's be the movie star. Um, and I just thought that was really notable, that that was the one thing that seemed to almost... Like, get his attention, even if it might have been just for a brief moment. It's quite a revelation to himself that he realises that's the best thing he's ever done from an acting point of view, isn't it? And uh, that's something I like how in the show, Bojack Horseman, they only kind of go back to that every now and then. It's always a battle for Bojack between that like that ego and the need to be a star versus the need to be respected and the need yeah. to be well-liked. And it's only every now and then that they lean on his actual acting as the reason why he wants to get respect, which is interesting considering that's his job and that's how he's made his fortune, that's how he's made his wealth. (laughs) Often it's about how he treats people and things like that, but I quite like it when for a second he's asked to look inwardly at his his own work and find the one thing that he actually thought was any good. Um, That actually quite ties us quite nicely to the next scene. Uh, We're back at Bojack's house and there's a Cabra Cadabra New Year party full of orca dancers from Wayward. We will come back to why that is later on, but Bojack casually asks uh, where Emily is. Uh, Todd is hosting the party, obviously, Cabra Cadabra. Um, she says she left, didn't feel comfortable about being uh, Sorry, casually says she left, didn't feel comfortable about being here. Bojack tries to, like, retort with a joke, says, oh, didn't feel comfortable about paying for all that food she ate. And Todd just replies coldly, yeah, okay, Bojack. We know, he knows. Bojack knows, he knows. It's a sad interplay between those two characters there's a subplot with Todd that we will get to later but it just sort of felt quite pointed that it was only little and it wasn't the big reveal again it was just a sad moment where Todd again feels let down by this friendship that continues to let him down with Bojack um but Bradley Hitler Smith turns up at the door at the party he's got quote champagne for my real friends but Anna bluntly brutally tells him that Bojack doesn't want to do the show um, she just eviscerates everything from his television show, from his career, to his looks, to his lifestyle now, to his lifestyle then. She takes all of it out as Bojack fades into the front door, in back into the party, in a scene that feels identically animated to Homer Simpson, yeah. back in, into that bush, that famously gift moment from The Simpsons. It is the way that Bojack wants to disappear as if he was never there at all, as Anna finally does the dirty work that he's been trying to get somebody else to do all day. It's just caustically cruel, believing that she has to be that way to get the message through as clear as possibly can, or just because she gets a bit of a kick out of it. That bit's left ambiguous, to be honest. Um, But ultimately, obviously, Bojack doesn't want to do the show. She takes the two bottles of champagne, slams the door in his face, and he dashes off to cancel his two million deposit and drops his phone in a bog. And that's the last we get of Bradley and his internal one-episode tragedy. Um, Powerful stuff. Like, just before we get to the big finish, because there is one coming here for the main characters, that, as the whole payoff, I think had to be that cruel, because Mm. we are dealing with the cruelty of Hollywood, through the prism of a guy just trying to break back in. A guy who's a guy who, let's be honest, is probably just maybe maybe not the exact same extent, but he's almost where we found Bojack at the beginning of this very show. Like Yeah. 
he's been outside the loop for so long, living off mm. the residuals from being a TV star back in the nineties, and he wants back in. The guy's still got a two million deposit he can put down a house, <laughs> which tells you that it tells you that Bradley Hitler Smith is doing all right, man. He's not he's not in the worst place. Well, but he used to read those economics papers, didn't he? he, he always used it. to have those economic <laughs> papers. And from all the times he got that a complete high of saying a catchphrase and have everyone laugh at his, his catchphrase <laughs> and have it land so well, remember? I think we all know that. What was it again? Yowza, yowza, bo I was dying for him to drop one in like in the midst of all his sadness. I was just wanting a really sad one to like keep a, out. Yowza, wowza, bo as he drops his phone in the puddle. We didn't get it, though, but... I think you're right. I think the, I just think Anna Sponacopita's like ruthlessness, like mm. the way that she absolutely demolishes Ethan, who in fairness, Ethan, Bradley Hitler Smith, who even in fairness still seems to take it all right. Like, yes, it's nasty, but he's not, he doesn't like sulk. He ends up running off thinking, oh, another deposit. Like he's, yeah. he's still quite, not chip up, but he's, he's not completely down in the dump, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, the fact that she's so venomously evil, and like that's that's someone who's really good at her job in a position of power, and she works for Bojack. That's like the end product of what he wants is bringing that out of people. That's what the yeah. end. That's how we get to the end goal of what he's too scared to do. Just having a conversation with someone he knows and saying, "No, nah, actually, I don't want to do the show." Like that. That's it. It's very important where this is placed as well, because what we've seen, we haven't actually seen Bojack ask Anna to do it once. We've just been, Anna's been in the room when, or been like near the phone when Bojack has repeatedly asked Princess Carolyn to do it. And I think what this tries to do is draw a line between the type of agent Anna is and the type of agent Princess Carolyn is, because she wouldn't do a thing like that. Oh, oh might she? she? Yeah. So back at the Vim offices, Princess Carolyn gets a call from Laura, who just tells her out of the blue that Bojack has lost Pegasus. Um, Princess Carolyn is obviously shocked and devastated. And then the, it, uh, the camera reveals that Laura is at the diner with Vanessa Gecko across the table from her. Uh, Laura simply says to Princess Carolyn, I did everything I could while holding an email. It's the email that Rabitowitz managed to source from his old Vigor emails. She's holding it up. And we can see from point of view of Laura an email that says uh, that involves Princess Carolyn emailing Mr. Witherspoon asking that Laura not be promoted because she's too good as her assistant. Quote, I need her at my desk right now. Princess Carolyn lied to Laura's face. It was over fashion because we all remember how hard Princess Carolyn had it at Vigor for the betterment of a job that she was trying to do well. But she lied to Laura's face. She cost her that promotion. And obviously that is the smoking gun that has cost Bojack Pegasus. Next, before we're kind of given any time to dwell on that, we're back to Bojack. He was sat casually drinking on the balcony, having seemingly quite a nice time with Anna at this uh, Cabracadabra New Year's party. Uh, and he gets a call from an enraged Kelsey. Uh, it turns out that the option has now expired because of, of course, Princess Carolyn demanding money that they couldn't reach from the earlier call with Vanessa Gecko. Bojack has had no clue about that, so he's completely wrong-footed, but Kelsey has just assumed that this is Bojack being Bojack. He's got enough of a reputation that she would have just guessed that this would have been down to him, wanting more money for it, lying to her face. Um, She says, quote, why do I let you keep getting my hopes up? Um, Again, just like cuts him to ribbons, leaves him in absolute pieces. She hangs up and leaves Bojack on the balcony, visually devastated by the call, you can just see, he lets out this like this pained sigh, this pained expression, um, seemingly far more cut up about losing, again, 
the Kelsey Jennings relationship that it feels like he's just got back. It's clearly that more than it is the movie. Um, but again, before we have any time to dwell on that, the New Year's countdown starts in the background. We hear a crowd of party goers saying 10, 9, 8, 7. And then we're back to the Vim offices. Uh, PC bricks it to Judah uh, that they've lost both projects, which Judah being the ultimate professional just immediately pivots to talking about the 2016 finances. Okay, that's happened. What are we going to do about it? Um, says that they're going to have to cut things, including social media, which, of course, we know is Diane's job. The only other character that has a role in Vim that we're aware of now could potentially lose her job as a result of all of this chain of events. Uh, and then Princess Carolyn snaps at him, says, uh, you want it to cut? Why don't you cut that stupid beard? It's really caustic. It's really cruel. It's as cruel as we've seen Anna beat a Bradley Hitler Smith in those moments. Princess Carolyn isn't Anna, despite those sudden lines that are drawn, those sudden comparisons we've seen, she pulls back, she says, no, you're perfect. Everyone's perfect with me. Go home, Judah. She just wants him to go home easy. He's failed to read the room. He's too literal, as we know. But she sends him away for the night. Uh, and then she watches the New Year's Eve fireworks from her window, as she always seems to see major events from her work window past midnight into the next day. She gets a call from Bojack as the fireworks are going off, which she rejects, which I think says so much more than we ever see because what that means is is that Bojack has allowed the countdown to reach zero probably shared quite a nice moment maybe a kiss with Anna over the New Year's Eve he's been allowed to have that New Year's Eve moment as uh, 11.59 becomes 12.59 unlike Princess Carolyn who has had her world falling apart he has the moment gets that out of the way and then rings her presumably a bollocker for why ever Kelsey Jannings uh, film has collapsed we'll never find out because it cuts to the emergency room where Rudebaker and Katie are having that wonderful moment where they're sharing the birthday babies the fireworks are out the window they're all so incredibly happy over the birth of the babies uh, Vanessa Gecko walks in to let him know the good news uh, that obviously they've got Pegasus for chuff uh, Rudebaker ends the episode on a quote everything worked out you gotta love a happy ending and scene we're going to get to uh, what happened with uh, Todd and uh, Mr. Peanut Butter and Diane elsewhere in this episode. But on this ending first, absolutely <laughs> incredible scenes is an often overused phrase. But this was just incredible scenes, one after another after another. Obviously, you get your plot payoff. You get your devastating reveal of the email that Laura had that stopped her getting the promotion. You get the two... Uh, mirroring conversations between Anna and Princess Carolyn in which they snap at other people that absolutely don't deserve it, but they're just, in the moment, they're doing what they believe is the thing to do in that ruthless role, as you say, that Hollywood has made them that way. Um, and, and I sense now you're going to disagree on this from a conversation we had halfway in this podcast. After everything we've seen from Princess Carolyn, from Bojack, from Kelsey, from Anna... Nah, Rabinowitz is still a dick, like... But... <laughs> I think they were the good guys in yeah. the in the infinite universe theory where right now there's a, a Michael Nicholas and an Adam Hamflit who's actually oh, the name Michael, actually the name right. Michael, where my cousin's got on now, that doesn't work doing a horseman podcast podcast where they're reviewing uh, season 8 episode 3 where Rudebaker Rabinowitz has kids and his agency could go out of business unless they get chuff into this part and the baddies, the baddies, they are actually the bad guys. This yeah. is an incredible twist because it is incredibly loyal to the actual decisions of the characters. 
the people that we root for are the bad guys. Well, this is a brilliant. This is well. We've got a catchphrase of use for these moments, don't we? Where we say, yeah. "Bojack Horseman is better than the show you like, Michael Hoffler. And the yeah. reason for that is because it's all about perspective, isn't it? And that's mm. this episode. I actually like in terms of how fluid and how quick and how well written and how so brilliantly put together this episode is. The two separate perspectives. I'd like. I always forget about it. Mm. Um, but you're right. The the way this episode is presented, they do. If if I'd like, I'd love to see the episode where it is like we are rooting from the beginning for the other yeah. two and see the reverse of that as the antagonist antagonizers being Bojack and Princess mm. Caroline and Anna Sponacobana. But obviously, we won't get that. But I guess the the massive thing here is that well, the, the big takeaways for me are Hollywood makes people make puts them into positions to make decisions that can absolutely destroy a person's life. That's yeah. it. Like whether that person is an actor, a director, a, a film studio, uh, an agency, whatever it is. The, the the money that they're dealing with, the people that they're dealing with, the nature of the business puts them in positions where entire careers and lives and happiness can be at stake and can change and the pendulum swing in the blink of a literal eye in mm. terms of we go from Princess Carolyn, who was on the verge of a huge win, the pendulum swings the opposite direction, and ironically, something from her past where she is denied somebody, like who else, whose other narrative we see down the road was yeah. just someone trying to make that wave in Hollywood, mm-hmm. Hollywood even, that that little thing that she did comes back to bite her in the arse, and that's, I guess that's the whole point of it, isn't it? Because as, as Diane says, at the very, very beginning, we come back to it a lot, there's, not, there's no such thing as good and bad people. There are just the things that you do. And that yeah. ultimately, that's what defines the characters. And again, we see it here. Like, yes, Rabinowitz is, is still a dick, and he will always be a dick because of, <laughs> because of the things he's done prior. Yeah. But in this particular episode, he, they are trying to do right by their client. They are trying to do right by the business. They are trying to do right by each other. Mm-hmm. And even at a point where we come to the impasse, where, the, where, a, where a compromise can be made, where maybe both parties will benefit. Princess Carolyn is the one who says, yeah. no, I want it all. I want everything. And I'm doing, I'm, and I'm ruthless now because Anna's put me up to it. And I'm, it, it's everybody's rubbed off on everybody else to the point where we're all a little bit worse off. I think is the case. Yeah. Mm. Um, but you're absolutely right. At the end of this episode, like you'd look back on it and the aggressors, the people who caused the problems in the end and the people who ultimately got probably what they deserved are, Everyone on Bojack's side. And I, you can't even say that Bojack doesn't get what he deserves here. He might be feeling bad in the end, but look at his actions throughout the episode. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The way that he's pushed all of the women that do these things for him has ultimately backfired on him. And you might you might get a little twinge of disappointment because you think that he's been denied that real thing that him and Kelsey talked about. Ultimately, let's not forget, he has a massive episode underwater where he's just trying <laughs> to fix he's just trying to fix the human connection with Kelsey, that's the whole thing. All that matters in this life, he says, are the connections that we make. That's it. Mm-hmm. And he's just got one back. But because he's been a piece of shit, Michael, <laughs> as we've discussed, the bad things you do have come round and eventually ended up taking away something that might have been good for you. It is. It's just, just to speak on the show itself, a terrific bit of writing that they only have you hold the mirror up in the last 30 seconds of the episode. Yeah. They give you they give you that one line at the very very start. Like, come on, we're the good guys. And at this point, 
we think what we think of Rabitowitz. We know what we know of Vanessa Gecko. And even throughout the episode, I'm documenting here all the awful things. We're debating them, what they've done, how awful they've been to various people. And it's only at that very last second that they properly flip it on its head and make you realize all at once that the villains were showing all their villainy to you. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And Gecko and Rabitowitz, yeah, the email was bordered on a dirty trick, but it wasn't that dirty in the context of Hollywood, and the email well, existed. You know, fair game. The, e- the email yeah. is fair game in my eyes is because if Rebettowitz is smart enough to remember that, unfortunately, it's fair game. And that yeah. ultimately is just him revealing something bad that Princess Carolyn did, which, again, as you say, might be a dirty tactic. But I don't think it does count as a dirty tactic in Hollywood. If anything, that's probably a light punch compared to what else some other people are throwing around at mm. this time. I think we can agree. Um, there was something else I wanted to bring up to you there, and it's just completely floated out of my brain. Um, It'll come back to me. You go on. Well, shall we go to the Labrador Peninsula? Because everything is so nice there that I'm sure at some point you'll remember it because everything will just work out wonderful, as Mr. Peanutbub and Diane believe it will by travelling to it. Um, we see them at uh, the airport. Uh, Mr. Peanutbub asks uh, Diane to look out for his brother, um, but they're on a Labrador Peninsula, so everybody looks exactly the same. Uh, in the meantime, Todd rings from uh, uh, from Hollywood to let him know that uh, Cabra Cadabra has done really well over the holidays and he's worked out the next step, making the safe space for women available to men. Uh, they both love this idea. Can't see any fault with it whatsoever. But that's all we get on that just for now because Captain Peanut Butter, Mr. Peanut Butter's brother, has arrived to pick them up at the airport. The brother's play fight. Diane is concerned at the level of physicality, but it's clearly all very affectionate to the point where Captain Peanut Butter does that to Diane after the fact. She's still got the cast on her arm, but he tackles it at the floor. We hear cars crashing in the background as a result of the attack. Um, 
We see them driving to Captain Peanut Butter's house, and the quote is, nothing bad ever happens on the Labrador Peninsula. Um, it is total paradise. You see the view from Diane in the back seat looking out to the window. It's families playing with each other. It's dogs running along the street. Um, it is sort of a version of what people would tell children doggy heaven is effectively. That yeah. is the Labrador Peninsula. Um, they arrive at Captain Peanut Butter's house. Mr. Peanut Butter chases his nephews inside while Captain Peanut Butter suddenly takes the conversation in a very dark direction with Diane. Starts asking her some very prob probing questions about children, about how beautiful they are, about life, about if she believes in having a soul. Uh, we see Diane and Mr. Peanut Butter unpacking in the bedroom later on. And uh, Diane quite understandably asks Mr. Peanut Butter if he's told Captain about the abortion. To which he says no. There's a lot of confusion over abortions versus auditions, but that's to be enjoyed if you watch the episode rather than listen to the podcast. Um, but he is oblivious to anything about why uh, Captain Peanut Butter would be acting in this way. And um, we later see them drinking New Year's Eve beers around a fire pit. Um, but when uh, Mr. Peanut Butter takes another call from Todd, uh, Captain Peanut Butter goes even deeper into his bigger issues about loneliness, about misery, about life, about love, about loss, um, about not loving others, about the people close to you when you've got the chance, Diane does not know how to react to this at all. Doesn't feel like she's the person that he should be having this conversation with, whatever it's in reference to. Meanwhile, Todd and Mr. Peanut Butter are having their conversation on the phone about the changes that they've made to Cabra Cadabra. It turns out that the drivers are now being rated by customers on their, quote, bangability. Uh, Todd and Peanut Butter don't realise exactly what they're doing here, don't realise that they're just offering virtually a source of prostitution out to some of the, the women drivers that are selling sex versus harassment to the ones that refuse to. Uh, they assume that the best action to make the safe space for women that don't want to sell their bodies is to replace them with women that are more comfortable in the company of gentlemen. And that, of course, tells us why we've got the orcas at the party. Todd has gone off to Wheel World, a gentleman's club, obviously, to bring in more orcas that will be suitable drivers for Cabra Cadabra because, quote, they are comfortable around gentlemen. Um, <laughs> back, back in the bedroom, Diane is uh, still talking to Mr. Peanut Butter about needing to speak to his brother to get to the bottom of what it is that's going wrong. Um, because she just knows that he's hiding something. He plays it down at first, just trying to get her off his back, and then snaps, wow, out of nowhere, maybe the angriest we've ever seen Mr. Peanut Butter, says, why do you think my uh, you think you know my brother better than I do? Just because you have a relationship with your family doesn't mean every other family has to have drama too. Oh, my God. As I try and get my breath back from that, Diane starts to apologise, which is just so very Bojack Horseman. But Mr. Peanut Butter isn't Bojack. He does catch himself. He tries to walk it back a little bit. He apologises too. They're both apologising to each other. Uh, Mr. Peanut Butter appears to realise that he just wants to be away from the scene for a while rather than he, rather than causing more anguish at Diane's expense. So he says he's going to go for a little walk. Uh, but he does. He goes and speaks to Captain Peanut Butter. He follows Diane's advice. They meet by the fire pit. Um, Captain Peanut Butter reveals that he's got a twisted spleen. Um, he says it's going to be fine but he doesn't feel particularly convinced by that. He's worried about his future, what he's going to leave behind with his wife and kids. Um, they laugh, they cry, and they howl at the moon. And that is where this, uh, this B and C and maybe even D plot, I guess. Here. I think what they were trying to wrap up was obviously the stuff with Todd and Cabra Cadabra, this little one-off plot with uh, Mr. Peanut Butter and his brother, Captain Peanut Butter, the potentially um, increasing responsibilities that Mr. Peanut Butter might have as a brother. And of course, the fractiousness that still exists at the heart of Diane and Peanut Butter that comes out in that furious rant that we just never could have seen coming because we were told explicitly, Nicholas, that nothing bad happens 
in the Labrador Peninsula and we were proven wrong. Well, you could argue that was a massive factor, couldn't you? Because <laughs> so much good stuff happens there and nothing bad ever happens in the Labrador Peninsula that peanut butter, knowing full well in the back of his head that something isn't quite right, doesn't want to be the dog who brings something bad to the Labrador Peninsula. But ultimately, Michael, that's not how life works, is it? Um, before I give you any more on that, let me just go back before I forget mm. this. I've started writing things down now so I don't forget them. Um, <laughs> I'm getting old, apparently. Not, as old, as, not as old as you, obviously, but just, you know, still quite old. Um, I would have said it would have happened at my age, but I forgot to write it down. You forgot to write it down. <laughs> you forgot, you've forgotten your age at this point, haven't you? Um, but I just think the there's some great parallels in Cabra, Cabra Cadabra and the approach of Todd in Cabra Cadabra mm. uh, to... Bojack and this, and just just hear me out for a second, because I thought this was such a brilliant example um, of how an idea, like the start Cabra Cadabra with this idea, he and Emily, and I just thought this this whole part is such a great example of how a business, how a company, how a person, how a, anything can start off with an intention and a, a goal in mind and a, an origin for the idea. Mm. And then as they progress that, you see how easy the little steps are taken to an idea transforming from something that was really good and with a pure mind and soul decided to make the world a better place because you are working through the process of a business or of financially driven things, how that alters your choices that you make as a company owner or business owner to the point where you end up at this X point at the end where you're like, how did we get this from this like, and the thing that makes it bad is usually the money. I think that's what usually yeah. tends to mess it all up. Obviously, in this instance, it's Todd, who has a great idea, and it's kind of floating between, like, all right, I'll just change that by changing this, or I'll fix that by changing this, and not really thinking about going back to the original point. But mm. how many times have we seen this happen with things across the board, but particularly in Hollywood, and I suppose with Bojack's whole career? like. Yeah. He just wants to make something that's real. That's all he wanted in season two. That was the whole point of the secretary was he wanted to do something real. In the end, what does he get? We get a film that's getting him Oscar buzz, the most attention he's ever had as a film star. But unfortunately, he's not even in the bloody film, is he? <laughs> it's all computer generated. All of it is fake. None of it is real. But Bojack, even at season three, is getting lost in how much this is changing his mentality, changing his ego, changing his stance in society. He's getting caught up in all that other competitive bullshit which ultimately has taken him away from the core idea of what he wanted. And he's just a couple of decisions away, Michael, from having a cab company where everyone is essentially a prostitute. <laughs> it is. Um, we often say this. Bojack often puts issues up front that hadn't yet been addressed in the wider world. Uh, as we record, uh, we just this week discussed the social dilemma. It's the biggest thing on Netflix. It's one of the biggest things in the world right now. And it just highlights all the exact same issues that every social media website had when it became about monetization and lots of tech bros suggesting well we didn't think that would turn out that way and it's a series of death by a thousand cuts as it were or indeed breaking hearts by inches as it may be one after another after another after another and this is 2015 well indeed 2015 to 2016 and they're highlighting that then and we are only, as we record, four years worse off as a result. Mm. The world, the world, that is a pattern. They are highlighting capitalism's pattern and how it rips through anything that can anything that can start good. Capitalism can just tear through it. Absolutely. And it just I just 
it felt like such a great little plot to have alongside Bojack's narrative, his pretty singular narrative, which is mostly just for his own personal gain. Mm-hmm. And Todd's, it goes to show you that it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter what the intention is. Yes, Bojack's were all for himself. He wanted to better himself. Todd's wanted to better the experience of being in a car for women. Either way, they end up getting mutated and changed and twisted and warped mm. into something that was not what they were intending originally, I don't think, ultimately. But I also think in terms of uh, Diane and Mr. Peanut Butter, we can see here that things aren't quite where they should be with those two. There's still a lot of maybe unsaid things, isn't that? Mm-hmm. And obviously we've got the lingering thing that comes with, obviously, Diane going through. Poor Diane, man. She's had a lot to deal with since we first met her to the point yeah. now. And this is just another thing she's had to go through and deal with. Ultimately, another thing that women have to deal with and go through mm-hmm. on a regular basis that men aren't aware of. And it just, when are we going to get something really nice? Happens for Diane, man. <laughs> it just, it feels like it's been a very long time. That, again, I sort of mentioned it in the main plot, the throwaway line from Judah that social media is going to have to go. She's yeah. out, away from it and is losing her job. I just like I thought that was so pointed and so powerful and there absolutely by design to make you realise that Diane is having this bad time in this place where supposedly nobody has a bad time and doesn't even know that it's only going to get worse when she gets home. Yeah, we know it's even worse for her than it is than she actually thinks already. My word. Just while I remember as well, because I think we try and touch on with it being animation how they use um, real life filmmaking devices within animation to make a scene more powerful. Um, and it was only sort of on my, my second or third watch where I really clocked. You've got the row taking place as they're getting ready for bed. Diane is sort of a picture of vulnerability at this mm. point. Um, Pajamas, cast on her hand, yeah. glasses off. So she can't even see straight, like literally can't even see straight. Yeah. And is getting the biggest bollocking off Mr. Peanut Butter. And unfairly so as well, while life is changing for her in ways that she doesn't even know. Yeah. I just think that was a, that was obviously a choice. Uh, Bojack Horseman's better than things that you like <laughs> number 6010 <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> pretty much all in all just so much to pick from from this episode hence the reason it's probably going to end up being slightly longer than the usual one <laughs> but with that in mind shall we go and try yes, and please. pick up I hope this won't take as long uh, he says now so <laughs> I'll see you all in an hour's time anyway uh, this is Horsing Around section of the show where we go back and we look at all the hidden things within the episode, the small details you might have missed, any of the Easter eggs that you might have not seen throughout the episode, or maybe just sometimes bits of trivia and things that made you laugh out loud. Anyway, <laughs> let's go back to the very beginning, shall we? Um, although I say that, that wasn't a great deal, I'll be honest, uh, in the very beginning, but we did hit the opening credits, Michael. And when mm-hmm. we hit the opening credits, we got some lovely new stuff in there because, of course, we've got the Cabracadabra office now which actually appears in the opening credits in the layout of Bojack's living room. We can see Todd's in there. He's making some calls on phones. He's choosing options on an iPad for stuff. And there's an intern there who's on a little, like one of them Segway things to move around. Yeah. More on that a little bit later. Okay. Um, and there's also like a bunch of workers in the living room on computers. And of course, Todd's personal special dispatch office, which is just a giant box with a massive with dispatch painted on it in white <laughs> and the box is actually literally just for a dresser. You can still see the image of the dresser <laughs> on the side of the box, which I thought was very Todd, to say the least. Very nice. We hit the LA streets and as you mentioned, we had Sarah Lynn, at the ver- what seems like forever ago now at the beginning mm. of this episode. Um, I just thought it was lovely how she's painting her um, 
She's painting her toenails while she's driving and ultimately just ends up painting one foot red and one foot blue because she's doing, <laughs> she's doing such a bad job. It's just all over her foot. But before we even get to that, she actually drives past the dog and splashes the dog with her car in a puddle. This little dog just all of a sudden hair from being normal to this big poofed up looking poodle. <laughs> um, so quick, but it's a great gag. I think they've done something similar in previous seasons, actually. Um, somebody getting sort of whacked with the water from a car. Anyway, let's go over to the, <laughs> the shop Tools Olympia, Michael, which is where Bradley Hitler Smith works for a living. A um, couple of bits I picked up on here. Bradley's uniform. He's got the he's got the, the Tools Olympia uniform on and it's got his name tag there, Brad. Brad, he says Brad. Obviously trying to make things a little bit cooler for himself. But on the other side, it says, need help, question mark? I'm a tool. <laughs> which I thought was great. Uh, there's a sign at the front desk which also says, keep your kids on a leash, because, of course, we are catering to all kinds of children, something I will also come back to later mm. on. Okay. There's also an insect person who's in the queue who's bought himself uh, a bunch of like a bunch of planks of wood, essentially. And while he's waiting for Bradley to finish his phone conversation with uh, Bojack so he can pay for these bits of wood, you think he's probably coming here for DIY, but it looks like he's just the kind of bug that eats wood, Michael, because by the time he's finished, the planks are gone, and he's just paid his 25 cents as if he's just bought a snack. <laughs> From the local Asda or something, who knows? We go across to the Labrador Peninsula and we're at the airport where they get dropped off. And um, when they arrive, obviously, at the Labrador Peninsula, there's a sign that says, Welcome to the Labrador Peninsula. And there's this brilliant outline of the land that you're going to be on. And the land is in the shape of the head of a yellow Labrador. Of course it is. It's the Labrador Peninsula, Michael. Nothing <laughs> bad ever happens there. There's a dog driver who's come to greet one of the uh, other people who's been on a flight and is waiting for the, to get picked up. And normally you'd have the little the sign that had your name on or the person's mm. face that you compare to. This driver has got a picture of a dog's butt uh, <laughs> and goes to see the man and is comparing the picture with the man's butt. The dog has got his butt turned to the man with his <laughs> head slightly over. They're in agreement. It is, in fact, the correct butt <laughs> because they are dogs, Michael, and that's how they greet yeah. each other. And there's also another one where there's, um, there's a dog couple who've got a carry, like a dog carry case and inside is their child. They open it up and the child comes out, who's obviously been maybe down in the lower decks of the plane. <laughs> I don't know, but it sounds suspicious to me. Anyway, back to Bojack's house, the Cabra Cadabra offices. Just a little few things within there. Um, we've got inside of Todd's dispatch office. We get a little glan a glimpse in when he's got the door open. On the wall, you'll see there's a couple of post-it notes. One says, call PB. He's literally on the phone to Mr. Peanut Butter at the oh time. And there are two more that say, buy more sticker. And then underneath says notes. <laughs> <laughs> so he's obviously been very, very, uh, what's the word? Um, been economical. Economical. I was going to say ergonomical there, but economical. <laughs> he's not in a very good chair. He's, in, he's good with his money. Um, but there's also on his wall, it's a graph, an upward trending graph that looks very much like something... Vincent Adultman would have drawn, I think. It's just a red arrow pointing in a generally good direction. And then also, brilliantly, he's drawn two doorknobs on either side of the cardboard that don't actually have any handles. They're just there for uh, the visual sake, which is great. But Michael, he's been hiring some people, and one of the notable people he has now in employment of Cabra Cadabra is one Deborah, who you may recall is Deborah of... Deborah's face fame, who oh, lost her face Deborah. on the set of Secretariat. Her face is gone, but her drive for work, it seems, is not, because she's working on the telephones and on the computers for Cabra Cadabra. 
Um, also, and this is where this show becomes brilliant. We've always we've already spoken quite a lot in this episode about how slick the writing was, how brilliantly well crafted the episode is. This little section here between Peanut Butter and Todd is exceptional. Peanut Butter's on the phone. He says, and Todd is Todd hits him with a great a great segue to which Mister Peanut Butter says, "I'm loving that segue, Todd. You're a conversational Magellan." Of course, in reference to Ferdinand Magellan, who was a Portuguese explorer who was who, who organised the Spanish expedition to the East Indies from 1519 to 1522, because Todd knows how to sail the waters, Michael, of a good conversation. <laughs> well, but, how does Peanut Butter know that? Well, how does he know that? It's <laughs> incredible. But on top of that, not only that, Michael, because what does he say? To, what does he say to Todd? He says, he says that's a great segue, Todd. I'm loving that segue, Todd. At which point, the intern we mentioned comes rolling in on his segment. Oh, of course. Different spelling, same word. And she is showing Todd the options that he's choosing on an iPad. Um, and it's actually the woman who has been uh, a film intern or maybe uh, an assistant on set for like secretary and a few other things. The one who's wearing the vintage rock band T-shirt. Yes. She yeah. is now working for Todd as well. And brilliantly, though, again, the words interacting well with the on-screen visuals. As the intern is like wheeling away with Todd's requests going off screen, Todd is just about to say the words, what if we made our safe space for women? And then she crashes out of like out of screen. The, the Segway blows up and the wheels, <laughs> the wheels of the Segway come flying back at the shot just before he finishes. Also available to men. <laughs> it's just fantastic. And then even better, Peanut Butter finishes this with, no goodbye, as Todd hangs up on him without saying goodbye. Well, he's a conversational Amelia Earhart, which, <laughs> of course, Amelia Earhart being the American aviation pioneer who was obviously most famous for disappearing in 1937 on her flight. She was the first female aviator to fly solo across the Atlantic Ocean, Michael. Mm. We don't just bring you good analysis. We also bring you knowledge and facts. <laughs> so, thank you, Wikipedia. We'll endorse you next week. <laughs> Back to Labrador Peninsula Airport. And as Mr. Peanut Butter is greeted by his brother, we hear in the distance, Mr. Peanut Butter and Captain Peanut Butter in the same room. <laughs> what is this, a crossover episode? Coming from his brother, who I just thought it's fantastic that his wife is referred to as Mrs. Captain Peanut Butter. <laughs> fantastic stuff. We go across to the Vim offices. Uh, we're on the outside here. We get a little uh, cut to gag where there's a woman who's trying to heal a car, but it's raining, as you mentioned. She can't get a car. But unfortunately, she's soaking wet. She grabs this elephant nearby and he gets one of his ears and pulls his ear over the top <laughs> of her while she's waiting and trying to heal this cab. The elephant, Michael, is very displeased. But yeah. unfortunately, he's actually holding an umbrella and doesn't offer it to the woman. Oh, well. So you know what it is. Bollocks to him. Yeah. She can have his ear. Stupid idiot. Anyway, <laughs> back to uh, Princess Carolyn's office now. And uh, Bojack mentions to Judo, he says, Hey, man, loved you in the caveman's valentine, which is, of course, the 2001 film with Samuel L. Jackson. He even mentions the great big beard and massive hair that Samuel L. Jackson has in that film. It's actually strikingly similar, to be honest. He's right on the money, even if nobody gets the reference. But again, we see him being catty to Judah. There's a bit of a joke going on there. He's taking the piss. Mm. We then see it mirrored beautifully, Princess Carolyn, this time to Anna. And how about this, Michael, for some clever wordplay? But I think Anna asks Princess Carolyn to do something, and she says... Uh, I'll get it, Kalamata. Don't get your pit at in a ward, she says to him, which at, on a glance just sounds like a clever bit of words. But mm -hmm. as it happens, Michael, Kalamata is the second most populous city of the Peloponnese Peninsula 
in southern Greece and the largest city of the homogenous administrative region. Interesting that they chose a peninsula there. I think I thought that was very specifically deliberate. And of course, as we know, Anasponacopera's name has some Greek references in there mm. too. Funnily though, Princess Carolyn refers to her as Pitta, which is the abbreviation for Spanakopita, of course. Yeah. Pitta being a, a food and a bread. But on top of that, ironically, Spanakopera, Michael, as pointed out by one of our lovely, I believe it might have been Edward Shiraz hands, maybe, or someone else, please correct me if I'm wrong, who has pointed us out in the direction of Spanakopita being of Greek origin. It is, of course, actually a Greek savoury pastry, meaning spinach pie. So all this weird food puns going on in there, this Very was nice. layered stuff, man. I realise I've gone on about that quite a bit there, but it actually blew my socks off. This is mm, great stuff. The writing nice. is writing's just too good for its own goddamn good. Anyway, <laughs> back to the Labrador Peninsula. And you mentioned there was a scene, an idyllic scene as they drive past in the car. It's essentially everything you've ever imagined a dog doing ever, just with <laughs> just with humans. Let me just run you down. We've got one dog who's throwing a frisbee for himself, which he will then later catch at the end of that lovely pan and shot across. There's a dog who's getting out of a pool before shaking himself off and all the water going everywhere. There's those dog parents from the plane who I mentioned earlier mm. who've got their dogs on a leash for a nice walk, as you recall, Bradley Hitler Smith shop telling you to keep your kids on a leash, Michael. Yeah. It's all relevant in this episode. There's a hot air balloon in the back of the shop, which is just a giant water, like a giant hot air balloon of a, la- a yellow Labrador's head <laughs> by in the background. There's also two kids who are running together who are like collectively holding one stick in their mouth as they run in the same direction. Um, there's two dogs randomly running around in the background jumping through hoops and an assault course like they're doing crufts or something. <laughs> it's all a bit mad. And then there's this one other dog who's just blowing another dog's face with a leaf blower, Michael. Just, oh, that's good. It's a nice little scene. A really idyllic scene. But then we go back to, well, I say back to, we go across to Captain Peanut Butter's house. And his, we notice a few things. His car licence plate, Michael, is Duck LVR, which just makes him a, <laughs> a duck lover, which... It's just a very specific license plate. But hey, whatever his quack is, we'll listen to it. <laughs> um, there's also a picture of Mr. Peanut Butter and Captain Peanut Butter in the guest room. With, <laughs> if you imagine you've been on a fishing trip and you've got the catch of the day, but on this picture, the catch of the day is a human fish. <laughs> they've collectively caught, they've got him tied by the, the feet and he's hanging upside down in their arms, which I thought was excellent. And of course, it wouldn't be a peanut butter if he wasn't getting done by the unfortunate sign curse that peanut butter seems to have. Well, Captain Peanut Butter has it too, because the sign he's had put up in the bedroom reads, Welcome home, little bro. Oh, also, I have a group on. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant stuff. And the last thing there from that was when Peanut Butter's talking to uh, Princess Carol, no, not the Princess Carol, to Diane, and he says, Oh, don't worry about him. He's all bark, no bite. And then he says, oh, you, you probably won't understand that. That's a dog term, which I thought was brilliant <laughs> in itself. He then says, I guess in human terms, it would be, he's all talk and no shooting you with an assault rifle. <laughs> <laughs> which an extreme, I think we can call as, but really, as he says, is it wrong though? <laughs> I don't think it is. We go back to the Gekko Rabitowitz offices and see them in action in the middle of the heart of their um, company. And they've got the board, a massive board full of people who they're trying to find who are David Fincher's workforce. And uh, Rabitowitz says, everyone on this board must really love their boss's movies because the holidays, they're all gone, girl. 
because all the holidays, <laughs> they're all gone girl, of course, one of David Vincent's films. And there's a cat person on the board, brilliantly, as we get a zoom in, we see the picture of Laura, of course, the assistant, just above here. There's a picture of a cat person on the board wearing a Pandara T-shirt, which is, of course, a play on Pantera. Yeah. It's all the same font. But brilliantly, it's just a panda getting punched in the face. <laughs> <laughs> we go back across to Vim offices where we've been plenty of times. And outside, there's a quick gag where there's a bird person who's just walking around and quickly tilts his head up to get some water from the rain that's coming down. Unfortunately, Michael keeps his head up there too long, drinks too much water, passes out, and collapses on the floor. Oh, no. And all of the water pours out <laughs> of his gullet. We go across to Bojack's home office, where we've seen Todd sitting in quite a few times. Not to be confused, of course, with the Cabra Cadaver offices, which of are just not. in the other room. Um, the makeshift hat stand that he makes in episode six of this season is still there. You know, he's made out of a broom and some twigs, and that's still got his hat on. But... There's also a bunch of new additions that he's added to this room. There's a ridiculously cute drawing on the back that he's done himself and signed Todd Chevy. Um, <laughs> but there's a picture. It's a picture of him and Mr. Peanut Butter, like in a caricature sort of look, driving in a cab together, as they like with the same cabra cadabra as they're both looking out the window, getting hit in the face <laughs> with the air. Brilliant stuff that. Um, there's also the, the there's a pie chart in there that you might have recognised if you did spot it. It's the pie chart from when he and Mr. Peanut Butter pitched. Halloween in January, back all the way at the wow. very beginning of this show. Um, brilliantly, there's a there's a pie chart on there that used to read. It said it had a pie chart that showed you Halloween stores, and it also showed you the suicide rate. And it showed you that because there was less Halloween stores, the suicide <laughs> rate was higher. What if there was a chance to change that? But now they've been scribbled out. Halloween stores has been scribbled out, which I should point out is the small slice of the pie. That's been scribbled out for harassment claims. And then that's that's been changed to harassment claims, and the suicide has been scribbled out for profit. So the massive slice <laughs> of the pie now reads profit, and the small slice of the pie now reads harassment claims. Nice. I'll let you read into that however you want. But the fact that it's all next to a gigantic pile of money on Todd's desk <laughs> should probably tell you everything you need to know there. We go to uh, Mr. Peanut Butter's house. Sorry, to Bojack's house. Uh, there's too many houses in this episode. Uh, we are at the Cabracadabra New Year's party, which is obviously in full flow. Todd, you will notice, comes bursting out of his uh, dispatch office when he falls out. He's actually wearing the outfit that he's wearing in season two of his episode, Tomorrowland, where he, of course, has built his own Disneyland. Course, and he's got the, yeah. I don't know what the getup is. What's the name of the getup? Like, they wear like the greatest showman. The, it's um, like a ringmaster type. Ringmaster, thing, that's yeah. what it is. That's exactly what it is. I couldn't ever think of the name. I spotted that and couldn't piece yeah. where I'd seen it before. That's of course, seen it Disneyland, before. isn't it? When he comes out from his Disneyland. And finally, there are a bunch of banners also in this room. One of them says, thank you, Cabracadabra team. Another one says, happy new year. But the third banner, most there, sort of poignantly says, new year's deal. Buy two banners, get one free. <laughs> <laughs> and those, Michael, are all of your bits of horse around for this week's episode. But this wouldn't be an episode of Podcast Horseman if we didn't end this on one last thing. And then I swear to God, we will shut up about this podcast forever. Would you? Like to go first or second this week? I'll go second. Ooh, you little tinker. <laughs> you know what it is? I kind of prepared myself for that. I knew you were going to do that. Okay. Well, this one is, it's just a little, a lovely little nod that I left out for the horse and around because I thought it was that good. I would bring it back. Yeah, it came full circle. But 
As we have seen in this episode, we get the other side of the coin, don't we, with um, Rabinowitz and Vanessa Gekwo, and we see that they're kind of the parallels to them trying to run their own new office as Princess Carolyn is. So they are running their, their offices, Gekwo Rabinowitz offices, within a bigger building, the big building that houses their office, though, Michael. The big building you may have noticed on the front of it was called At Least Nine Stories is the name of the building. <laughs> now, for anybody who was paying attention back in Season 3, Episode 1, J.D. Salinger leaves Princess Carolyn's agency because her agency isn't big enough. There's not enough uh, attention being paid to him. And he says to her, I quote, I need an agency that's at least nine stories, he oh, says. Oh, get it. what he says to Princess Carolyn, which is, of course, in itself a reference to his uh, collection of short stories that is literally called Nine oh. Stories. And that is the name of the building that those two are in. So they must be a success. And the question is, Michael... Do they or do they not have J.D. Salinger as a client? I guess we'll never find out. I love that, and I wish I'd gone first, because that's better than that. <laughs> uh, we're we're going to end on a low instead of high. Uh, no, all, all mine was was just um, about, well, to sort of reference a bit more to the plot, uh, Mr. Peanut Butter and Princess Carolyn. Um, we talked in the episode review of Anna and Princess Carolyn's rants kind of mirroring one another, but I thought... Princess Carolyn and Mr. Peanut Butter are the, are the full-time characters. They're the ones that we've been with from the start. We know we're going to be with them through at the end. We don't know if Anna's just going to like feature in Bojack's life now and then never again on the movie or what. They're core characters, and they've turned on the people that are desperately trying to reason with them. I just thought having those two moments, like you were shocked. You were not shocked that Anna could be so cruel to Bradley Hitler-Smith, but you are knocked clean off your chair twice in this episode in the way that Princess Carolyn and Mr. Peanut Butter could have those in their chamber for Judah and Diane, respectively. On both cases, they feel needled and they feel put under pressure. But in both cases, it's by people with their best interests at heart. And I just, it was it was so striking, I had to take note of it, that twice, I, like it wasn't just enough for Mr. Peanut Butter to make you go, whoa, whoa, whoa. It happens again, minutes later, when Princess Carolyn does it. These are characters you trust and generally are quite nice, and they're turning on people that you suddenly realise you trust a little bit more. It's made you think about the levels of these characters and maybe how you rank the word of Diane or the word of Judah versus the word of Princess Carolyn and the word of Miss Peanutbutter. I think the whole point of this episode, like literally across the board, uh, not just the dual narrative that we get between the two rivaling agencies, but also just across every character, is that everybody is a human man and they make mistakes people get angry people get frustrated people make bad choices it doesn't make them a bad person but i felt like this episode was a really what are we episode eight now this is what a leveler it was across yeah. the board nobody comes out of this unscathed not one person i don't think even todd who is normally the guy who is the accidentally wise brilliant person has lost his way with the cabra company in terms of the original message has been changed for something that mm. wasn't the intention and i just think at the end of this episode we haven't got nine stories michael we've just got one flat story and everybody's <laughs> on it everybody's on it nobody's better than anybody anna sponico but i may be maybe wears it on our sleeve better but princess carolyn has done things just as bad as anna in this episode mm. vanessa gecko and Rabitwitz might have been the bastards in the past but now actually our todd and mr peanut butter are the bastards running a company with not the original employees best interests at heart 
that's mm-hmm. a whole bunch of people that are going to affect the actual women who were the ones they were trying to help in the first goddamn place are going to get booted out of the company. In fact, do get booted out of the company. Yeah. We just don't really we don't really touch on that because they're all too busy having a New Year's Eve party or whatever it is. <laughs> so I think this is it's a complete bulldozer of an episode where everybody again I feel like is on they're on a, they're all back to square one. They're at the very base of none of you can come out of this on your high horse, ironically. You can all just be right at the bottom next to each other. Have we made it all this way through without saying it's a powerhouse? Because let's drop it in now. This episode yeah. was a total goddamn powerhouse. But for many different reasons to what we yeah. normally say, I think. Really, really felt like a very different episode. Just so slick, man. So yes. slick in Absolutely. all of the ways. But we have waxed lyrical about this for quite some time. Talked ourselves horse about a talking horse, you might even say, Michael Hampton. So I guess let's plug our last little bits before we have to go. As always, if you have enjoyed this, and or even if you haven't, maybe you'd like to fo- <laughs> maybe you'd like to follow us on social media. You can find this podcast at Podcast Horseman on Twitter or Instagram. Please do give us a like, give us a share, give us a follow, and interact with us. Send us your favourite stuff from the show. Anything up to this point where we are right now, as we always say, this is a spoiler-free podcast, so we try not to talk about anything or even share gifts that are ahead of time because we don't want to spoil anything for anybody. But please, we love talking about this show. We want to build the community further. Let's continue to do just that. And if that wasn't enough for you and you just want some more of two lovable rogues, well, (laughs) I don't have any of them for you, but I do have two... I guess they're all right kind of guys. You can follow me on Twitter at It's Adam Nicholas or you can follow Michael Hamflit, who's arguably the better of the two. I mean, I'd have that argument, but it's at Michael Hamflit. <laughs> uh, you, can, uh, you can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. You can follow on Spotify. You can subscribe on Acast. You can, as we said at the start of the episode, find us, subscribe, follow. I don't exactly know what it is yet. On Amazon through however they do podcasts. But I mean, look, if we're on Amazon, we must be every bloody where else. So if there's a place that does podcasts, you'll hopefully find Podcast Horseman and we'd love you to do so. And we'd love you to leave us a five-star review. We'll be going back to them for season four or later on in the podcast lifespan. But for the meantime, we are inducting people into the Hollywood Talk of Fame for a special season three through retweets. Just a reminder, that podcast goes up every Friday on at Podcast Horseman on Twitter. And if you retweet the link that gets posted up on there, you will enter yourself into a draw to get a very special season three start on the Hollywood Talk of Fame. And we're going to roll that drum again, if you bear with me. This week's winner is Rachel Batolo. That's at Batolo Rachel. Thank you for your retweet, Rachel. Uh, a, a very special Twitter start will be coming its way to, uh, to you on social media, through Instagram, through Twitter. Thank you. You'll join the Hollywood Talk of Fame in your inductee coming next week. Very good. And yes, a shout out because I feel like she'll appreciate it. We do always recognise the people across the board who we've got from both listening to Podcast Horseman and who we recognise from working for What Culture Wrestling. Yes. Rachel Bertolo is a, is a strong follower of the boys and girls at What Culture. Thank you for taking that across to Podcast Horseman. It means the world to us and to everyone else, of course, who's done this so far. Genuinely, even if making those stars is the biggest pain in my arse <laughs> I still love doing it because it means you're all interacting with us and that is the main thing. So thank you and please do continue. Don't let my moaning put you off. I want to be, I want to do as many stars as humanly possible just until maybe one of us no longer wants to do this podcast. Anyway, <laughs> um, let's quickly go across and get the Netflix synopsis for next week's episode because, well, that's just what we do. <laughs> so this is season three, episode nine, and it's called, Michael, which, believe it or not, isn't about this podcast, but it is called... Best thing that ever happened. (laughs) (laughs) 
And as, as the synopsis will tell you, Bojack meets Princess Carolyn at Elefante, leading to a night of soul searching as they help the staff impress a food critic. Oh my goodness, I've just remembered mm. what episode it is. This show is just too good. It's stupidly, <laughs> stupidly good. The writers are working on another level. But if you want to find out how good that episode is, you will have to come back next week. For now, though, I've been Adam Nicholas. I've been Michael Hamlet, And this has been Podcast Horseman. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.